0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Doughty. And
1: I'm Dablina Chakraborty.
0: And I think one thing proven throughout history is that people really love a good doomsday prophecy, don't they?
1: It's so true.
0: Just last year, we had a lot of news about the May 21st, 2011 potential doomsday. I remember seeing billboards and news articles about it. It was kind of a kind of
1: a story for a while. See, I must have been living underground in your or something already. <laughs> because I remember I was in Italy at the time and the friends I was traveling with, they mentioned that that was going on and then just sort of like, oh yeah, this is going to happen <laughs> maybe kind of way. And I remember we were debating over like, well, how will we know with the time change when <laughs> exactly it's happening because you know when you're on vacation, you don't even know what day it
0: is a lot you of don't. the time. I know, I was at a friend's wedding and I remember her saying like, well, hey, you know, at least I'm throwing a big party with That's all my true. friends and family. <laughs> so it's a to, good attitude. Yeah, it is. But today, we're going to be looking both to the past and the future. And we're going to revisit an episode recorded in 2008 by former podcast host, Candice and Jane. And they discuss what's perhaps the most famous doomsday possibility out there, uh, at least these days, probably because it's still to come December 21st, 2012. And that date is, of course, based on the so-called Mayan calendar, really the long count calendar. And And the fact that we'll be at least coming to the end of a great cycle that started back in 3114
1: B.C. Many other doomsday prophecies have also been connected to great calendar changes like the long count or otherwise round dates probably all but our youngest listeners remember Y2K, in which people feared not so much a great apocalypse, but an electronic one. Still enough to hoard water. Yeah, I mean, it was scary to a lot of people. (laughs) But at other points in history, the
0: predictions have also been date-based, but for the sake of the date's symbolic significance, rather than just its roundness, like the year 2000. So, for instance, many people in England feared the year 1666 because of that inauspicious series of numbers. And the world, of course, didn't end, but a plague did strike the year before. And of course, the Great London Fire, the Great Fire of London, I should say, occurred in 1666, something we mentioned in our Famous Fires episode, and really might have served to make people feel like potentially the world was coming to an end.
1: Cosmic events sometimes also trigger doomsday prophecies. According to National Geographic, for example, the 1910 appearance of Halley's Comet had folks scrambling for so-called comet pills and oxygen supplies, which both were supposed to protect you from the comet's tail's noxious gases. Yeah,
0: and in 1997, the appearance of the Hale-Bopp comet um, drove members of Heaven's Gate to commit suicide, expecting aliens following the comet to come rescue them. So, you know, I think this gives a pretty fair representation of all of the different kinds of reasons why people expect the apocalypse. And this is just a a very small number of of things we could have mentioned. But even the 2012 event does have a cosmic element to it. It does have a, a... year kind of significance to it. And we're going to look into a little bit more about that in Candace and Jane's episode. So let's take a listen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor
2: Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, did you take time the other day to watch all of the inauguration ceremonies and television footage? You know
3: what? I was so busy I didn't get a chance, but I've I've been watching it on like YouTube and all like that. Okay, so you followed up on all, all yeah, the stories, yeah. the
2: fashion, the speeches, the bloopers, etc., etc. Oh yeah, of
3: course, yeah.
2: It was really fun in the House stuff works office because a couple of us dropped our work, and we mm. went into the common room, and we watched the ceremony on TV, and it was it was really special, and, and not just because the Obama girls looked adorable in their brightly colored clothes, um, and because Rick Warren pronounced their names so fancifully, <laughs> I, have, I have to quote him, Malia and Sasha. We really couldn't get enough. We've been saying it around the office ever since then, but it was just really great to be in a room with intelligent people watching such a historic event. I bet, yeah. And I was thinking how utterly, incredibly tragically sad that it is the last inauguration we will ever see because the world will end in 2012.
3: Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know. Jane's a little bit on edge. Um,
2: Yeah. I I don't necessarily ascribe to that belief. I was just trying to get everybody worked up, excited for our podcast today, which is about the Mayan calendar. And if you are at all familiar with the Mayan calendar, you may know that there's a prophecy that the world will end on December 21st,
3: 2012. That's true, and some people are a little, uh, on edge about this idea, although it doesn't have that much, uh, uh, history in terms of the Mayan calendar, in terms of what the Mayans actually believed, which is interesting. Right. I think
2: a lot of the, the fuss can be attributed to doomsday speakers and we actually yeah, got... those are always
3: popular. Yeah,
2: so. well, because they're fun to hear about and they're fun to think about, sure. sort of. The
3: end of the world is always The end of the
2: world. We actually got a listener email about the Mayan calendar and I'm not quite sure if our friend Melina is a, a doomsday believer or if she just wanted to hear more of the story behind it, but she wrote to us, Hi, I'd like to know what the Mayans really say about this 2012 end of days. I have heard many interpretations, most of which I think are geared at selling books, smart girl, and doomsday (laughs) gear. I'd like to know how accurate were their predictions and why this calendar was so important to them. So, Melina, here's the answer. And we will start by cracking the code behind the Mayan calendar.
3: And to understand this, we have to get a little context about uh, the Mayan civilization in general, I guess. Just to let you know, the Mayans, the whole empire, was incredibly sophisticated. Uh, they existed around parts of what is now Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, El Salvador, and parts of southern Mexico as well. And uh, they were a very sophisticated culture. They actually started writing. They were one of the first um, Mesoamericans, the people in, in that uh, Central American area, uh, to start writing at all in the pre-classic period, which went up to from between about 2000 B.C. and 300 A.D., and you
2: can actually divide the Mayan civilization into three distinct periods, the formative or pre-classic, which Jane just mentioned, then the classic followed, and that ran from about 300 until 900, and the post-classic from 900 to 1400, and around that time, we see the Mayan civilization sort of reaching a bitter end
3: when the Spanish Inquisition comes in and starts phasing the culture out. That's true, and scholars are a bit baffled by what happened at the end of the classic period. It's interesting. They were incredibly sophisticated, but it, there was a time about 900 A.D. where they reached a sharp decline in their civilization. They left cities and temples abandoned. It was very odd, and scholars disagree about what caused this, whether it was exhausting the food supply or there were wars among peoples. And you're right, Candace, the Spanish arrived in about the, the 1400s, late 1400s, and that sort of ended the period of the Mayan Empire in general.
2: And we know a lot about Mayan history because these were people who left written records. They had a system of hieroglyphics that they used for recording myths and history and other governmental decrees, things like this. They actually had uh, sort of like a primitive type of book and paper that were bound together, as well as stelae, which were large freestanding stone monuments, almost like an obelisk, really, mm-hmm. that they would carve things into. And in addition to hieroglyphics, they also had logographics and a phonetic syllabic
3: sort of alphabet. So they, in many ways, or at least three ways, really, of recording their history. That's right. And a lot of their writings had to do with time in general. They were very focused, maybe preoccupied with the idea of time. And that's where we get the idea um, that they were, that they were, how, they came up with all the different calendars that they did.
2: Right, and calendars were important because they wanted to mark the passing of time because they looked to heavenly bodies in the sky to interpret the behavior and the moods and whims of their gods and Many of their actions, whether it was you know, a ceremony for, for planting or mm-hmm. for the economy or for accounting procedures, were based on God's behavior. And almost like today, how some people ascribe to astrology to determine how a person's personality may be influenced by their birth
3: date, the Mayans used their calendar for similar purposes. That's right, and numbers themselves held a particular importance. Particular ones like the number 13, for instance, held sort of religious connotations with the it represented uh, levels of heaven where sacred lords ruled the earth. And so the number 13 is pretty important, and that um, applies over to the first calendar, which is called uh, the Zolkin. I believe it's pronounced, calendar. And we should mention, too, there are all manner of pronunciations,
0: as That's right. far as we
2: <laughs> could tell in our research search yeah. for the different increments of time and names of the Mayan calendar. so um, we're assuming that there are some scholarly variations on pronunciation, but we are going to go with the most popular, and to kick it off, like Jane said, the Zolkin calendar also called the sacred round calendar. Let's let's break this down and this is going to get a, a little bit painstaking. So if you're near a computer, it might actually be helpful if you could go to the house works website and pull up the calendar. Yeah, I'm sorry, easier. pull up the article on how the Mayan calendar works. That's right.
3: Um, it'll be easier to visualize if you we have a nice animation on the site that will let you go through this Zolk'in calendar. Okay, so the basics. The Zolk'in calendar is divided into 260 days. And this number is uh, kind of significant in and of itself. Scholars kind of disagree, but it might signify the length of a pregnancy, but uh, more than likely it probably signified the time of a corn crop. Exactly. So from here, 260 days are comprised of 20 different day
2: names and 13 different numbers. So imagine two circles, and around the outer or larger circle we have the 20 day names listed. And each one is represented by a glyph. Then on the inside circle, it interlocks with 13 different numbers. So as the inner circle turns, a number matches up with a glyph of a day name. And if you're good at math or you have a calculator nearby, you may have figured out that 260 days is derived from the fact that 20 day names times 13 numbers equals... T sixty,
3: Yeah, that's true. And so it would go through the cycles of the days and the numbers together. And as you know, 13 is less than 20. So once it got through the 13 numbers, it would go back to the first number, but continue on in the cycle of the 13th or sorry, the 14th day name. Exactly. So it just continues rotating
2: until you reach 260. And each combination of number and day name has a significant meaning. And the holy men and the agriculturalists of the Mayan civilization would use these numbers to predict auspicious times for ceremonies and, and crop planting, like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. But there was a problem with the Tolkien, I'm sorry, not the Tolkien. Well, some people say Tolkien, we're saying Zolking. Mm -hmm. The Zolking calendar, and that was that it didn't measure a
3: full solar year like the Gregorian calendar would do. That's right. They were smart enough, obviously, to figure out that there were seasons and 260 days was not a solar year, basically. And uh, we should also mention that the Zolking calendar had segments of 20 days, which they called weenals um u-i-n-a-l and so these segments of 20 days were pr- particularly important and they carried over into their other calendars as well and this led to the
2: hob calendar and this is a calendar that was based on the cycle of the sun and weanals were sort of the, the formative unit of the hob calendar so as jane said a weenal is a 20-day period there were 18 of these 20-day periods, which equaled 360 days. Now, as we know, again, 360 days does not a full solar cycle make. That's so true, were, but
3: 360 is a pretty even number, and I like it a yes.
2: lot. <laughs> so the Mayans compensated for those five extra days by making them nameless days, and they referred to those as a wayab, and that was a single month
3: comprised of these five days, and they thought it was a very dangerous time. That's right. And the way was kind of a compromise between the mathematicians and the astronomers, because obviously the astronomers knew like 360 days is not a full solar year. But mathematicians love the evenness of the number 360. So that's where they get the compromise of the way
2: And during this time, it was customary to pray vigilantly and to celebrate the gods and to beseech them for blessings on the civilization in hopes that, you know, good good tidings would be restored again.
3: That's right, because during the way they believe that God sort of left the whole earth unprotected. So, But...
2: Again, same old song, you'll hear this refrain a couple of times, it wasn't enough. They wanted a longer <laughs> calendar.
3: And uh, the, even though the Hob calendar is closest to our Georgian calendar today, um, they did want to record more time in a single calendar uh, for historical reasons to keep posterity, and uh, so they came up with what's called the calendar round. And this had 18,890
2: days and encompassed 52 years. But here comes that refrain again. It still wasn't long enough.
3: Uh, 52 years was not enough, as you said, and so they wanted to um, make it even longer. And this is the massive, most massive calendar I've ever heard of. Um, it's called the long court calendar. We refer to it today as that. And it measures time in great cycles. And a great cycle spans a little over 5,125 years. Right. So the long count calendar
2: also has its own individual units that it is comprised of so let's go over those we've got one day which is a keen 20 days the weenal which we've heard before 360 days a tune 7,200 days a cartoon 144,000 days a baktune. So we have all these different individual components going inside the long-count calendar, and we see that it is very useful for measuring epochs, really, for mm. giving historians something to um, base their civilization on and predict future civilizations going on and and things like this. Yeah, it
3: was actually a difficult task to be able to find the zero date uh, of the Great Cycle. So for instance, we're in a Great Cycle right now, um, and in order to figure out what date today is in the Great Cycle, we had to figure out what the first, what the beginning of this Great Cycle was, and that ended up being August 13th, 3114 BC.
2: And we didn't just come up with that number happenstance. There was a, a British anthropologist named Sir Eric Thompson who wanted to reconcile these different calendars. And in order to find out when the current Great Cycle began, he had to match up some different events from the Spanish Inquisition that had been recorded on the Dresden Codex, which was one of the Mayan governmental records that was spared from the ravages of the Spanish Inquisition. And he took that and compared it alongside the Long Count calendar as well as the Gregorian calendar to come up with a definitive date. And like James said, that was August 13th, uh, 3114
3: BC. So we're in the middle of a great cycle. That's right. But if you do the math, we're actually about to end that great cycle. And that's Mm -hmm. where we get the date of December 21st, 2012, uh, which will end a cycle. But it's important to note that the Mayans believe that this is not the first cycle that's ever existed. It's actually, I believe, the fourth and so the universe or the planet uh, has lived through um already three cycles, the ends of three cycles. So the Mayans don't necessarily believe that the world will end at the end of this fourth one.
2: No, and they actually think that the ending of a cycle is a really wonderful time to celebrate and to appreciate the fact that the planet has made it through another great cycle.
3: Yeah, but... There is also another reason why people think that this might be the end of uh, the world, because an interesting thing is going to happen on December 21st, 2012, and that is that it is a winter solstice, but, you know, that happens every year, but it's also a particular winter solstice where the sun will align with the center of our galaxy. And that happens
2: only every 26,000 years. So if you're like me and you're curious about what people say, you can do a Google search and pull up all number of different doomsday websites. And predictions for December 21st, 2012, range from the culmination of social strife and environmental catastrophe and Mm. and war, uh, sort of amalgamating into a giant apocalypse. And some people say that a comet or asteroid is going to impact the Earth and we're all going to die, or that the magnetic field on the Earth is going to change and the poles will be reversed, or... Or, hey, you could rent Mel Gibson's Apocalypto and sort of get a
3: preview of what's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting if you uh, look at the idea that the mines were actually able to predict eclipses, which is pretty sophisticated for, for what they knew. And so maybe you might be inclined to think, oh, well, did they know that this this crazy happenstance was going to happen on that day, too? But uh, most astronomers uh, actually agree that they could not have known this.
1: So hopefully, armed with that information from Candace and Jane, you'll be able to encourage your frightened friends that the mind calendar does not necessarily mean certain doom. I personally like the idea of seeing the passing of such a huge amount of time as a reason to celebrate and be thankful.
0: I do too. I mean, it it seems like just just as you celebrate the new year, uh, you'd celebrate this the passing of this huge chunk of time. So I don't know, maybe we need to have like a long count calendar party. I'm something. for that. <laughs> um, so we do have lots more to read on this and if you want to share your own ideas about the Mayan calendar. Um, You can email us. We're at historypodcast at discovery.com. We're also on Twitter at Muslim History, and we're on Facebook.
1: And if you're still uncertain and you'd like to explore this topic a little more, we have a couple of articles regarding the Mayan calendar and the 2012 issue. Uh, We have how the Mayan calendar works and will the world really end in 2012. And you can look those up by visiting our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com.